Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Tyler Fornes, and with me as always is my co-host, Fred. Maybe it'll be who gets the chair, Moreland. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? You know what? Well, we just got to jump into things because what a fucking show last night. Yeah, that was a great episode, man. Um, you know, there was, I, we had some complaints during the uh, Four Pillars build era and all that, but man, last night was uh, un, um, it was just a total success. Uh, I don't see how you can really be down on this episode at all. Uh, it had just about everything, and it was just fantastic stuff start to finish, really. It was, and Fred, you're going to love this. So we were talking pre-show about how our, our wives either do or don't watch wrestling with us. My wife is in the next room, and she apparently heard me, and she's she just sent me talking about how I don't watch wrestling with a laughing emoji. She she hears me. Get her on the show, man. Bring her in. Oh, you know what? I I I told her when um, AEW comes to town that I want I want her to go with me so she can at least go to a, a like a good wrestling show and yeah, like, be able to see it. She's like, well, I'm not paying for it. I'm like, well, I kind of figured. But she also dragged me to Jingle Ball a few years ago, and I didn't want to go. Yeah, so I didn't have to pay for that, so it's only well, fair. Life's about a series of uh, compromises, you know. And yeah, and uh, this this wasn't a compromise, but it was more of a hey, you're a dumbass. Um, biggest story coming out of AEW so far outside of Dynamite was yeah, yeah. BJ, BJ Whitmer was fired after news came out that he was arrested on June fourth. For first degree strangulation and second degree burglar burglary, and he had been with the company since 2019. Now, one of the things with how assault can be categorized in different states is if you do something specific, you don't necessarily get charged with assault; you get charged with that specific instance. And yeah, this is a Kentucky is thing, actually. Uh, oh, then you you should probably, in theory, like because you live in Kentucky, know a little bit more about how some of those laws are structured. Not really. I don't have much experience with uh, strangulating, so uh... that's that's why I framed it the way I did. I don't <laughs> think you would strangulate anybody. Yeah, uh, but this was related to uh, a domestic violence incident, uh, Whitmer's arrest, and. Uh... <laughs> I hope the other party is okay. It did take a couple weeks for this to come out, interestingly enough. Um, like I think it was about a week gap between when he was actually arrested and when he was let go by AW, and there wasn't any kind of reporting before that. Uh, so I just found that a little interesting. Um, wondering you know, if it, just wondering if this was like an Enzo Amore situation, you know, where AEW didn't even know until the no news broke. But regardless, you know. It's one of two things. It's either that or 
they knew that the news had broke and they wanted to do their own investigation and see, okay, so he was arrested for this. Let's kind of try and gather the facts a little bit and see, did he actually do something along these lines or is this just an accusation and we're going to stand behind him? And I know like the, I, I kind of relate this to uh, Kareem Hunt with the Kansas City Chiefs. There was like a video of him. Um, I think he, it was either it was pushing a woman in a hotel room or like yeah. a hotel room hall, like hallway or whatever. And they went to him like, hey, you need to tell us the whole truth. And he didn't. And they yeah. stood by him until like it found out that he lied and then they cut him immediately. So I'm wondering is it kind of along the same lines where, Hey, we just want to find out the information ourselves. And then once they did, they kind of got rid of him, which to me, it would be the smart play because like that you obviously want to be like, Hey, innocent until proven guilty, but there's also a PR aspect to it. If you believe that he did something like this, bye-bye. It's, I mean, but like it's yeah. BJ Whitmer's a, uh, a backstage guy. And I, I, don't necessarily think that uh like he is somebody who's not too difficult to replace um, yeah and one thing i did really like before i um before you go on your tangent i loved how aw released a statement that they are there for the victim in any way that they can i really i thought that was a really nice touch that we don't see enough yeah and hopefully that they uh, actually follow up on that if uh they're taking up on that offer and it's not just pr speak uh just saying have a healthy uh spec you know uh skepticism about large companies in general uh but speaking of replacing him uh i don't know that we can really tie this into a direct replacement or anything but they did uh aw did bring in jimmy jacobs as a producer i like that um he's he's got a great he's... reputation in this role yeah, and I I think he will provide, just based on kind of what his in-ring character was for so long, a really different voice in the room. And I think that's needed no matter where you're at, because if you have a different voice, you can tell people, hey, they like this, they don't like this. And the more uniqueness you have in that room, in theory, the better creative you should be able to derive because you have people of all viewpoints trying to find something that that works. Yeah. And having obviously you said he's got a great reputation. That's only going to continue. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, he, he was doing a great job in WWE and then he was let go for some silly reason. I, I forget exactly what it was, but I remember the story being that basically Vince chewed him out and Jimmy Jacobs was like, well, I'm done. Bye. Um, and then he was working for impact for a while until uh, this move. So, uh, I, I'm, uh, you know, I think his career has been marked by a lot of very creative storylines, uh, especially the Jimmy Loves Lacey one, which is kind of famous. I don't know how much of a personal impact he had on that. Uh, I wasn't really following Ring of Honor close at the time. But, you know, I think this is a guy that can really contribute positively, and hopefully he'll be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, look, the, this company could use better people backstage and speaking of backstage no boy like dax harwood is getting involved in creative oh boy can't wait to see a bunch of bret hart tribute spots in all every single match uh yeah uh hopefully he will um he will not do that (laughs) not just spam uh hey remember when brett did x in every like thing he's involved with uh, but you know, we'll see how this works out. It could, he could be a positive contributor. Um, and of course this is the kind of role where 
unless you're on like one of the extreme ends, like great or terrible at it. Uh, I don't think you really hear too much about individual contributions from people. Um, but, you know, given uh, the past year of Dax Harwood's uh, approach to online, uh, incorporating online stuff into storytelling, if you're willing to give them that benefit of the doubt, but I'm thinking mainly here, actually, of the uh, uh, FDR is going to retire, you know, storyline he tried pushing on Twitter, and uh, that just really didn't do anything at all. Um, you know, hopefully that's not exactly the median suggestion for Mr. Harwood. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I, I'm very intrigued to see kind of oh, what this means, because he gets, he gets memed to oblivion, and... He kind of earned that, based yeah, he on did. Kind of how how he's uh, portrayed himself in the media uh, with his podcast and with him just being a big dork. But he is a a, a tape junkie, and mm -hmm. I do think that having that kind of voice in the room, if you rein it in, if you filter it, we talked about this with Malachi Black when he came into the company. If you filter Dax Harwood, I think he could be a really valuable asset to that creative team. Yeah, most people need some kind of filtering, and uh, you know it's not really a big mark on him necessarily that he is on that list. Um, I think everyone could really benefit from someone you know being in their ear to kind of be like, "That's a dumb idea," you know, to hopefully steer them better. But yeah, um, I think uh, this is very interesting. I wonder if part of this was an attempt to make CM Punk happy given their closeness. Um, I, it's, you know, I don't have any indication that it is, but I don't have any indication that it isn't. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but yeah, just some things to consider with that move. Yeah. Um, everybody needs a filter and uh, uh, especially on Instagram. You know, this, this face is nice, but so that little filter makes it all the better. Uh, so I didn't see this. Did he? Uh, Santana released a video teasing his return. That was on social media, right? Yes, I believe it was. Okay, I haven't seen that. I'm gonna have to uh, find it because it, it it has been a, a year now since Blood and Guts. Yeah, almost a year. Yeah. ACL, and that that's a long time for just a clean ACL tear in the wrestling business. So I, I that probably means there was a little bit more damage. Than they thought when they went into the knee. Thankfully, he's doing okay. Alternatively, they could have just been holding him back for the right spot. Uh, the the thing with tracking injury return time in wrestling is that's often part of it. Is the uh, I was actually ready to go after nine months, but it took a couple months for the right spot to open up for me. That's a good point. And speaking of the right spot, Billy Gunn indicated that AW reached out to X Pac Sean Waltman to come in for an angle a couple of times in 2022, but it didn't work out. Waltman is still working on returning to the ring as he's been out since February 22 due to a torn biceps. I have no idea what they would do with Sean Waltman at this point, but considering how successful a lot of their other returns have been, I, I, I'd be willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that it'd be good. And I'm wondering if they'll still try to keep trying to bring him in for one of those. Yeah. It'd be cool to see him in AEW. Uh, he's still like, I mean, he's, he is old, but not like, ridiculous old he's only uh 50 and in terms of wrestling age i mean that's not outside the realm of uh being active 
So he still he was still working a few times a year, most notably with GCW before that biceps tear last year. And um, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I would love to have Sean Waltman involved in this company. He seems like a, a really smart and well-intentioned guy when it comes to contributing to the business. And yeah. uh, I, I, if they can get him as a producer and like a once a year wrestler or something, that'd be cool as hell, in my opinion. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that'll be interesting. And this is also interesting. Um, AEW at some point in January, according to um, the Wrestling Observer and Figure Four Weekly, has signed EJ Nduka. Um, mm-hmm. He's a former MLW World Tag Team Champion, and he worked a couple matches in NXT before he was one of those quote-unquote cuts. This dude is a huge individual that's just a raw ball of clay, and I really like that he is now signed to AEW, and they can kind of bring him along slowly and see if they can get like get a star out of him because you don't get a massive individual that moves this well come around very often. Yeah, he's a super intriguing prospect from the little bit I've seen of him. And, uh, you know, it's it's worth a roll of the dice. Maybe he won't end up being anything, you know. I mean, it's really early to judge, like, Parker Boudreaux right now. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I my guess right now at this point is maybe they won't get anything out of Parker Boudreaux. But, like, it's worth rolling the dice and just seeing what happens with the guy. If he stinks on ice after you work with him forever, you know, then you just let him go you just put him in the background for the length of his contract it's not um you know it, it, it's i i've been a i've argued that aw should roll the dice on high level athletes uh give them you know uh a three-year deal for you know 100k a year or whatever uh something better than what they can probably get in their sports at this at that point in their career and uh just see if they can teach them up and uh you know, Duke has already been around wrestling for a while now, though he's only had like 22 career matches or something, which is ridiculous. But, um, yeah, he uh, it's very intriguing, and I guess we will see what happens. Yeah. Um, so, along with that, uh, Sammy Guevara and Tay Conti announced that they're expecting a baby girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will come up here later on in the show, which we'll talk about, but... Well, we need to get right into the show, Fred, because this was, um, and pardon my French, a fucking all-timer. This was it one was of the a... best episodes of television, not just in wrestling history, but in fucking TV history. This was great. Yeah, this was a fantastic show. Uh, so a couple really great matches uh, and two other matches I thought were good and one that was decent. And then uh, some cool promos. That go-home angle was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we'll start off. Open the show. MJF versus Adam Cole in a world title eliminator match. It goes the 30 minute time limit. And this has happened once before. Uh, Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson at Grand Slam was also a world title eliminator. And that was a, hit a half hour time limit, too. They did a 10 minute call. But I, I remember at Grand Slam. They did like a five minute call and I think a two and a one. Like to me, I was a little annoyed at the consistency with those calls. Um, because I, I don't think that they've stayed constant throughout the, the history of this company, which is a little odd for me because they have been really good at 
that continuity of staying yeah. consistent with those little nuanced details. Here, I thought they missed it, and I was w- when the bell did sound, uh, I, I was a little annoyed by that. Like, am I wrong here, Fred? Because I, I, you're the you're the guy who's going to be able to set me straight on this. Um, you know, I think they do vary some in how they use the time uh, calls. In the match you mentioned, uh, they were making a big deal out of the time calls, and I feel like they did the opposite this time uh, to kind of surprise you with the uh, the time limit finish. They, they did sneak in the 10-minute one there, as you mentioned, but I didn't even notice that at the first, uh, first time it happened, or first go-through, I guess I should say. And um, afterwards, you know, I don't remember another call. I don't remember five or two or one or anything else. So um, maybe that's just me being a bad uh, viewer, uh, entirely possible. But the way I take it is that they were um, their goal was to kind of shock you with the, the finish there. And I think they achieved that. Um, and I think it worked well in this circumstance uh, and to set up the babyface Cole demanding five more minutes and MJF, of course, being the worst person in the world in kayfabe, uh, <laughs> declining and just walking out, literally slithering out of the ring. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, this was a really well-worked match. I think it's actually the best of Adam Cole's return. And in terms of singles matches, uh, I think it's probably the best of his AEW career. Um, I went four and a quarter stars on it. I thought it was just fantastically worked. Um, uh, they did a lot of very nice teases. I love the stuff with Bryce Remsburg, who is the perfect ref to be in this position to like eat the bump and then do something slightly different than the norm. Um, in terms of um how those those things tend to go, um, like I thought that the the Eddie Guer- the variation on the Eddie Guerrero spot was genius. And I think that spot is kind of done to death just in terms of how it's yeah. usually presented with the, oh, I did the fake belt shot. Like, you know, it's 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 usually, like, at this point, very rote, and I don't think it actually works very often anymore. But I love this variation on it where MJF tried to do it, but just by dumb luck, Bryce Remsburg just collapses back down instead of doing the normal ref stand-up, see the guy with the belt and DQ him uh, shtick. And both Cole and MJF's reactions to that and the fact that Cole did the title shot afterwards, uh, I thought that was all actually like really smart, uh, a really smart spot that I enjoyed a lot. Yeah, I, I loved this match and I loved that so many nuances about it. And something that you mentioned to me before the show that I completely missed because I saw there was writing on it, but I never paid attention. MJF on his elbow pad last night, it had it written Vince was right. And yes. if you remember last week, the promo talking about how Vince specifically didn't think Adam Cole was a top guy and putting that on there. Fucking brilliant. This, yes. this guy is, he is a piece of shit. He is a, there's, he believes in so many of those little nuance intricacies. This is just like, it's phenomenal. Um, there was so many little things. They they worked the match really well. They uh, Cole started beating up the hand. You had Cole bring out moves from Ring of Honor, including the original last shot. And I think what that uh, straight jacket Germany called the Florida Key. Oh yeah, or was right. the Panama Key? One of the two. Like, and MJF with the subtle touch. I, I loved this. Because we've seen, we saw Jeff Hardy slip off the ropes a 
at the double or nothing pre-show. Everyone thought it was a botch. It wasn't. He takes the pad off of, um, I don't know the whatever the the wrench thing is that that torques the the rope. That oh yeah, connects the rope to the actual ring post, and he gets up onto it, and then he jumps and does an elbow drop onto Adam Cole through a table. But because of where he put his foot, that that helped him in theory get grip, and those yeah. little touches make so much of a difference for me. And it's it's just great stuff. Yeah, it's great. And NJF is fantastic at the little details in wrestling that if, when you notice them will make you very happy. Um, even if he's an awesome, like just an awful heel. Uh, but like, he's just super smart. Um, and I, I like this match a lot. It was just a blast. Where did, where'd you go on this match? Um, uh, start, uh, I went four and a quarter on it. Uh, I thought it was maybe a touch short of like that, match of the year candidate level, which is where four and a half starts for me. I thought it was just a touch short of it. Um, but I, you know, I, you know, this is still like a definite notebook match, like, you know, a kind of match that you should take the time to watch for sure. I went four and three quarters. Oh, wow. I thought, okay. this, I thought this was phenomenal. I thought this was, this was like, I guess I, I'm a little bit more of a, a happy star Raider than mm-hmm. a, a stingy one. And like, just but like you and me, I, I think I'm a little more generous with my rankings. But... Maybe I, I, I also have a reputation for being generous. So, Oh, that's funny. Well, I, I am the new Griff inflation. Uh, shout I out guess. Griffin Peltier uh, from um, voices of wrestling. But uh, I, I thought this was phenomenal. This is one yeah, of the best was... matches ever. Um, I wouldn't get that far, but I, I do think it was probably one of the best of the year. I, yeah. I feel safe saying that. This this might end up. This is probably top three on my dynamite dozen. Okay. But I will say the finish. We kind of already referenced it. Um, Cole uh, gets gets the belt shot um, with that at the end of that whole Eddie Guerrero tribute spot, which Bryce Remsburg, well done. That um, uh, either he knew that M like. Uh, what was going on with MJF and and stumbled again so MJF could get screwed over? Yeah. Or like and I took I it more. It's just he he tried to get to his feet and flopped over because he was still hurt. Um, that was yeah. my take on it. But hey, Remsburg is smart. He he understands this kind of shit. Yeah, he's and a smart referee, man. He, he's he's one of the best in the business. I think the uh, he hits the Panama Sunrise. He hits the last shot. One to ding 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 and as you said adam cole asked for five more minutes and mjf's like fuck no because yeah. as he should because he's a heel exactly and this is a great way to have a great match which cole really needed in this company he's had one and that was the adam cole match at revolution um and i think i only gave that four and a quarter but it was still mm. really good yeah and but i mean it literally had my match of the year earlier in the night in that dog collar match with punk and MJF. Yeah. The, he needed a match like this because like he's, he's had some rough in ring performances and this worked really well, man, this, this was, this was awesome. And you can continue the feud here because M- like Cole didn't win, but he mm-hmm. didn't lose. Yeah. And now you have a, more reason to kind of keep this going and just a masterful piece of booking and 
I know the, the stopwatch people were probably out. It was, it may not have been exactly 30 0 0. close. Yeah. It, the match started at like 7 04 Central Time and ended at 7 34. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to be, if you're one of those stopwatch people, like if you're consistent across every single fucking promotion, okay, fine. Whatever. They're off a little bit. Who cares? But it was so close. It was close enough to shoot. I'm fine with it. Whatever. Cage yeah. match has it as 30 minutes. Yeah, they do have it at 30 flat. Um, I, I also really like Bryce catching uh, MJF's attempt at a ring shot that played into the finish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that where it, it actually helped Adam Cole hit the super kick, but it made sense for Bryce to not let the heel use a foreign object blatantly. So I, I thought that was cool. Um, I You know, this was a lot of fun. Really good match. Really, really good. And this next part was um, interesting. I didn't think we would get a, a – I knew we were getting mentions, and I should have mentioned this last week, and I forgot because it was in my notes. They blasted the fuck out of us with CM Punk promotion and collision they promotion. They sure did. And it continued here. Every segment had a mention of collision in some way, shape, or form. And right when they came back after that first half hour, you get a CM Punk video package. And I, I, I really liked how they did this they laced it in with his promo from the first dance. Because if you remember, uh, he, one of the first things he says, like when I got this microphone and I came out here, I didn't really know what I was going to say. And he said that again, he's like in the video package, I don't know what I'm going to do or say until I have that microphone in my hand. I have a lot of things to get off my chest. Is this the first Canon mention of brawl out? Is what is Punk going to say? How is he going to reference the elite? Um, how is he going to reference collision? Is he going to call this his show? There's so many little nuances here that I'm fascinated by. That, like, if you weren't going to watch collision initially, the card and this video package are, are a huge draw. Yeah, I think uh, it's a very promising card they've put together, and the intrigue of exactly what Punk is going to do should be a pretty good draw. Um, again, I do think we've kind of missed the, uh, the high watermark of him as a draw just because, you know, he's coming back after nine months away, not nine years. Um, uh, but still it is, um, I don't know. It should be a hell of a show. Yeah, it's, it should be a hell of a show. And I'm really excited to kind of see how that looks as Odie makes a little run in little, little hungry puppy. Uh, he, He's, he's just a good boy, and it's early in the morning. He doesn't like when Dad's in his recording studio. Um, next up, Renee Paquette interviews Sammy Guevara in the ring, and this is kind of where he mentions that they're having a baby girl and says, it's been a hell of a ride these past few months with the announcement of my wife being pregnant, which, if you guys didn't know by now, we're having a girl to experiencing some sort of lowest lows, becoming this close to being world champion and falling apart. And I have to make some tough decisions. I have to make some changes in AEW. And that is when we get Darby Allen making his way to the ring with a microphone. Listen, I don't know about you, Fred. I hate Darby talking. Um, Darby is the little emo kid. And they're making him feel too human when his aura, in a similar way to Sting, is what made him so special. And I, I hate it. I mean, it's not like he has bad things to say. I just don't think the character Darby should be saying them. 
Um, you know, I thought it was, uh, I thought this was all right, uh, frankly. Um, I, I disagree with you, I guess, on the overall should Darby talk point. Uh, is it ruining his aura point? But I think that this was, you know, it wasn't like a great promo by any point, but I, I liked how it played into his role in the company and this storyline. Yeah. One, how dare you disagree with me? I can't believe you would do such a thing, Fred. I feel so insulted. <laughs> but sure. I, I, I kind of... I get you to disagree. I, I, I kind of get where you're coming from. I just... Maybe it's not necessarily that he talks. It's what he's talking about that I have more of the issue with. It's... I don't know. It's fine. Uh, but he comes out here and... Sammy, I mean this when I say it. Congratulations on your baby girl. But I want to talk about Double or Nothing. I don't know if you've heard the people, but it sounds like they're starting to love you again, which is hilarious because he got like 65% booze coming out. Like they still don't like Sammy Guevara. And this ends up transitioning to, are you going to stand on your own two feet or live in the shadow of the Jericho Appreciation Society? Because as he mentions, you know, Sting and I, we're equals. This isn't the Sting Appreciation Society. Like we are a team. And, then Jericho comes out with the baseball bat and he's like, well, maybe we need to uh, bring together back lay sex gods. And then sting comes out and shockingly. And this was, this was discovered last night. And I don't know who to give credit for with the voice of wrestling, but it was post put in our office slack sting and Chris Jericho have never shared a ring together. Not even a world war match. That's very interesting because there's, you know, the WCW Battle Royal uh, World War Three matches or 60 people. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, just absolutely massive matches. Uh, but yeah, I mean, hopefully they give this some build to really make it special, uh, to really drive home that it's special. And um, I don't know, this is this could be a very cool program. Uh, I do think we, you know, your concern with uh, Darby is kind of equivalent to my concern with the attempts to make Sammy Guevara babyface. I do think this is like the best point at his career to date to try to make him a babyface, but it's going to be one of those things where he should probably only do it for like three or six months at a time. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how it works out for him um, and how this, uh, you know, how much success they have with him as trying to do babyface stuff, but it works within this. It's at least logical within this storyline. I can't say it works yet because as you know, the crowd was still not exactly, uh, you know, loving, you know, Sammy Guevara on his entrance. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated to kind of see what this, what this means. And I'll tell you, my favorite thing in professional wrestling is Tony Schiavone. It's Sting! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just sounds like a kid in a candy store, and it's just tremendous. Um, but what what I really appreciated about this was we went to commercial after the face-off. And coming back from commercial, they're already in the ring. And the gate, um, the mogul embassy is already in the ring as well. But in between that and the match starting, we get Sonata on the screen. Um, said the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion issued a forbidden challenge. And I don't have the exact words he used, but he wanted to show um, like the power of the IWGP title. And he wanted to show like how good he is as a champion. 
So he challenged anybody in that AEW locker room, which we'll find out later on who that challenger is. And as everybody's making their entrances, you get half of Keith Lee's and then you get the huge pop for Orange Cassidy. And I thought this was really, really good. This was a four-star six-man or eight-man. This was great. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I, I went three and three-quarter, uh, just to slight difference there. You are a coward. Yeah, a I know. coward, Fred. I know. I'm a terrible person. But I did think this was a lot of fun. I, I thought it kind of dragged a little bit at the start. Um, not not during the initial brawling, but that, that period afterwards before the commercial break. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I like this match quite a bit. Um do you think I have a question for you? I, you know, supposedly the number two storyline, this is per Dave Meltzer. And I don't know if he actually said it's going to be the number two storyline, but a secondary storyline on um, collision moving forward is supposed to be swerve Strickland against Keith Lee. Um, what do you think about that? Because I think that storyline is turned ice cold, like ridiculously. So to the point that like, if they had followed up on it four months ago or something, there, the, the reaction to it probably would have been strong, but given that it's June and they really did, I mean, they did some stuff to try to drag it along, but it was definitely way on the back burner. Uh, I think it's just icy cold. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's kind of talk about this. I think it is ice cold, but at the same time, it wasn't that hot to begin with. Um, like the initial split was fine. But then you had Keith Lee go away for a while, and I want to say he was he was somewhat injured. And you had Swerve try to figure out what he was going to do with the Mogul, Mogul Embassy, or whatever. I think he's in a good spot now. But I do think the match will be very good. And because the match will be very good, whatever. Like, they're, they're going to wrap it up, and they're going to go their separate ways. And it's probably going to be Swerve Strickland going over on Keith Lee. And let's get Swerve Strickland as a potential title challenger post all out. Yeah, but I just worry that they've like terribly dropped the ball on this and have harmed his uh, long term value to the company. Um, like, because I think that Swerve was in a position where he could have been a real top of the line uh, heel, top of the card guy. And they really. Um, kind of chilled him out and I think it hurt him a lot. So yeah, it it has hurt hurt him a lot, but it's they can come back from it. I don't want to say otherwise, but yeah. I'm not worried about it in in that sense. I I just think look, I think they had to kind of push pause with the Keith Lee thing. Um and I don't know this for sure. I don't know if he was for sure injured, but that would make sense as to why it's been drawn out this long and in this manner. Uh, but I do think they could have done more to heat up the rivalry again. I think that's what they wanted this match to be, but you barely had any Lee and Strickland interaction. Yeah. And, but I, what was really interesting is one, you had sting beat Brian cage, um, which is obviously to heat him up for, I believe in next week when they're going to have the match against the sex gods. And, Tony Schiavone just says, God, I love pro wrestling. Just, just awesome. Um, this is also where at the end um, you had Orange Cassidy go back to the match, uh, go back, go into the back. And 
Zack Sabre Jr. and Daniel Garcia are standing there. And Zack Sabre Jr. is essentially trying to make a challenge for the international title. And Daniel Garcia kind of stops him. But then he's also like, where's your where's your boy Shibata? So next week on free television, Orange Cassidy and Katsuyori Shibata versus Zack Sabre Jr. and Daniel Garcia. Holy Hell yeah. crap, that's a fun <laughs> match. Yeah, that, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm very excited about that, and uh, that should be fantastic. Yeah, that it. Man, I'm glad Shabbat is wrestling, but I really hope that there's that there's not this massive um, risk of injury for him because obviously we know he had the brain hematoma after the Okada match. Yeah, I really hope that they're. I mean, he's not really taking headshots. He's in the pure division, which is about as good as you can hope for as mm-hmm. far as being smart. But man, I, I I just worry. But that's that's just me. Yeah. Um, I think he skipped a few segments here. Um, first of all, uh the, the guns being interviewed by Renee. See, I, uh, I okay, so I thought this was before the guns. No, that uh, per my notes, and I'm pretty sure they're right. Uh, so, so th- right after the eight man, there was the the guns promo, which um, they set up a match with the Hardys in the future. And boy, oh boy, I have no interest in watching that whatsoever. Like that's, whew, I, I guess uh, Tony really wants to use the Hardys and uh, he thinks the guns are something. And uh, here we go, I guess. Uh, I, I think this match is going to be bad. Um, Jeff struggles these days. Matt might be in worse physical condition, which is kind of shocking. Uh, considering everything Jeff's gone through. Um, and the guns, I mean, I think they're entertaining heels on the mic, uh, but they're not very good in the ring. Um, and I just, I don't know, after the the seemingly forever Hardy storyline involving Ethan Page and all that, I just don't have time for this. I don't want to see this. Nobody wants to see this, but we're we're going to see it. And yep. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I think this is a really big match for the Guns because if they can pull a good match out of the Hardys, that's going to be a big feather in the cap of the Guns who have been a very inconsistent team. And I, I say that because, well, they've been a very inconsistent team, but they're also very young. And... I, I think that it's a good a good thing to kind of get them in. Like, hey, could this match be bad? I, and I'm kind of meandering here. I need to kind of make my point more concise. This match could be bad. But at the end of the day, the Hardys aren't going to be able to carry anybody. We saw that with the Mm-mm. Bucks match about a year and a half ago. They just can't. They're yeah. not there anymore. If the Guns can get a decent match out of the Hardys, considering where they're at as a tag team, that's going to be huge in their their development, their trust level with Tony Khan, and it could really be a big part in potentially jet-setting their career a little bit faster. Yeah, and hopefully it does work out for them. Uh, but I don't know, man. I just I have serious questions about the guns. Um, and then after this was the Wardlow-Hager match. Look, I thought, and I'll say this. I don't think Hager is a very good wrestler. I just don't. 
He he's a good big man who comes in on like these six and eight man tags, does a few cool spots, takes a couple bumps, and that's it. Yeah. And he does his role well. I'll say this: he's been good when given title matches, the Cody match, the Moxley match. I like that was pande- pandemic era stuff, so you kind of have to take some of it with a grain of salt. But I thought he was very good there too. And when you kind of look at all things considered, he's done a good job in a lot of these title matches. Here he was good too. This was this was just a three and a half star title match. Nice little TV spot. Nothing offensive. It was a, an easy win. Like I thought this was really good. Yeah, um, I I thought this was a pretty enjoyable match. I went three and a half stars on it actually. Uh, and and look uh, at us agreeing, Fred. Look at yeah, us. Yeah, just two two. Just two normal guys. Just two. Just uh, two guys. Just just two guys. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I like this. I like this pretty well. Uh, I thought it gave Wardlow a good chance. I think Hager is a good opponent for the bigger guys too because he he could bump pretty good for um, uh, for these size guys like Wardlow and make him look like a million um, million bucks. Yeah. This this was good. And then you had a really interesting Christian Cage promo come up on the screen, or you can't even hear Christian Cage for half of it yeah. because the audio is kind of wonky. Um, but one thing we did not mention, Matt Menard and Angelo Parker walked down the ring. Arn Anderson stops him, and Brock Anderson runs out to even the odds. But then after that, you have the Christian Cage Luchasaurus on the big screen. They accept um, Wardlow's challenge to Luchasaurus, and... There's a bloody Arn Anderson who looks like he had an ice pick driven into his, the top of his head. Yeah, they they murdered Arn. Um, I guess Brock got lost backstage. <laughs> um, the Father's Day gift this week is just not helping his dad out. Um, but yeah, Christian Cage is is great, and this was a good little segment after a pretty good match. Yeah. It was a good little match as Odie has a squeaker toy that my wife just threw in here. Um, NJPW's master of the century, Hiroshi Tanahashi, has a message for MJF. He says, MJF, as long as you're the champion, the belt, that belt won't shine like it should. Last year, Forbidden Door, I came this close to beating Moxley for the AEW title. So this year, Forbidden Door, MJF, let me face you one-on-one. Listen. Credit to Sue Williams, who who has been pounding this on the table in our office slack. This is a great match. I thought Suzuki would be good because it's he's not really a push commodity in New Japan anymore, but you just get an ass kicker to go beat the living crap out of MJF and show him some respect. And he's got good name value in the States, too. Oh, yeah. North America, I guess I should say. That's kind of why I thought Suzuki would fit the best, but now you have a Tanahashi singles match, and even though Tanahashi's on the downturn, this is going to be great, man. Like, they're going to have some kind of old-school leg match, and it's going to be phenomenal, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, um, you know, I'm a little concerned about Tana just because he he does seem to be really broken down at this stage in his career, but he's been a contributor to some fantastic tag matches. Um, uh, I think the big question is what exactly is he going to be able to bring to the table in this match with uh, MJF? But at the same time, I think both Tana and MJF have big enough auras where they can uh, kind of work around that limitation and still have a pretty good match. So hopefully they'll be able to deliver. 
I think they will be able to deliver because MJF's a tape nerd. They're gonna they're gonna probably full pull some like uh, mid South match from 1982 and bring it back to life, and it's gonna be awesome. Um, yeah, like does Tanahashi deserve a shot? No, but as we're gonna talk about later, Jungle Boy doesn't deserve a shot at the IWGP title either. It's an interpromotional show. You just kind of got to deal with that element of it. It's you're getting Danielson Okada and Osprey Omega. It's fine. Well, Jungle the Boy cake- not a like will be a good match. Tanahashi MJF will be a good match. And I guess you're kind of mentioning the kayfabe point. Like Tanahashi's challenged for the title before, so it's not new. Yeah, and and it's Tanahashi. I mean, he's one of the greatest wrestlers of the century, uh, both kayfabe and in in ring performance. And uh, I mean, with Jungle Boy, at least you can argue that he was just in the AEW main event um, and is considered one of their big future stars. So I, I get both. Yeah, it, you get Jungle Boy in a big spot, which they believe he can be a tippy top guy down the line against Sonata, who is not the hottest challenger for Western fan or champion for Western fans of new Japan. And he's not the hottest champion in Japan either. And that's, it's hard to judge because you can't really judge on ticket sales because like everybody in America is just acting like pre pandemic. It's normal now. It's not in Japan. Culturally. It's not like that. People are, are much, much more cautious. And a lot of people are still wearing masks regularly. So it, it's just different over there. And when you kind of look at the two challengers, I think it's good. You get a big star from New Japan and Tanahashi. He was huge in the States. And honestly, with the rest of the card shaping up like it is, nobody's really going to care about the IWGP title match. And I don't mean that in any way, shape, or form of disrespect with like the IWGP title or New Japan. But a Sonata IWGP title match isn't something that people are clamoring for. And you give it to a guy like Jungle Boy, who's exciting, who's delivered in a lot of big spots. What was the last time he didn't deliver in a big spot? Like, I can't name it. Even that four-way, we went four and a half on it uh, from double or nothing. It was very good. Yeah, You go back all the way to the match against Chris Jericho, where he, he lasted 10 minutes with him when Jericho was champion. Yeah. You look at uh, he. I think I don't know. Has he had an AW official title challenge? I I don't think so. Like but, like for the world, other than the four way. Yeah. Uh did he get one against Jericho after lasting the ten minutes? I, th- I kind of think that's what that was to set up. Um, I think so. We'd have to look up cage match. Um, but on he, it, and I am on it. They they had the really good run with him and Luchasaurus as tag champs. That was a lot of great matches. And then they lost the triangle ladder match to the Bucks, and that's got the Christian turn. And he had a really good match against Christian at Revolution. Like he's delivered in a lot of big spots, and there's some I'm missing. But he actually uh, he actually had an unsuccessful title defense against uh, Kenny Omega back in June 2021. On a uh, Saturday night dynamite, uh, that uh, Meltzer gave four and a half stars. I remember that yeah. one being pretty good. I have an have it as a nine out of ten on Cage Match. So he's look, he delivers, and is it? Yeah, the he's a good in ring worker. It's not the sexiest name, but it doesn't have to be. It's a good, good match, and I think uh, a lot of the people that we've seen so far. Um, clamoring over the fact that oh this match stinks um it's it's jungle boy 
like AEW's getting Tanahashi. Like it's not that simple. And I think people uh, need to kind of take a step back and it's 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 okay. I agree with what you're saying. I, I will say that there's probably some other names in AEW I would have preferred to see in the spot for Jack Perry. And so I kind of do approach it from that angle. Um, like, I, I know he's great in ring and everything, but there's some better names that would have been a little more interesting in my mind. But, um, you know, I can't really, like, complain too hard about this. Yeah, I, I can't either. Um, let's Let's jump ahead because... Um, well, actually, let's not jump back because we we're talking about Tanahashi. Um, then Renee goes to MJF, who's icing himself, and he's, she says, it's been made official. It's going to be you against Tanahashi at Forbidden Door. MJF, come again? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say no to that one. I don't feel like giving a world title shot to some rando from a rinky-dink indie fed in Japan. And as far as Tony Khan booking me for a matchup, it wouldn't be the first time I no-showed something somebody booked me for. Tanahashi, sorry. No can do, bud. <laughs> what a guy. What a dude. A rinky-dink indie fed in Japan. What does he think he's talking about? GCW? <laughs> like, this... <laughs> Well, it perfectly perfectly fits the the MJF character because I mean, one, he's been dropping this line about New Japan for uh, for about a month now, if I recall correctly, and like other uh, you know uh, media interviews. Uh, but also, I mean, of course, MJF would think a company he's not in that is not WWE or AEW is Rinky Dink. Uh, that, that just fits him perfectly. Yeah, just <laughs> I love MJF so much. He's great. This is when we get the Orange Cassidy interview segment. Um, uh, Renee's like, what does the future hold for Orange Cassidy? He's like, yeah, you know how this works. Probably right about now, somebody's going to walk in and challenge me. Zack Sabre Jr. Hello, mate. You mentioned my name a few weeks ago at the Media Scrum. Well, I might be the first ever New Japan World Television Champion. The next Sunday is Forbidden Door, isn't it, darling? And then you get Daniel Garcia. You don't even work here. Yeah. But the idea of being a double champion sounds great to me. Where's your boy Shibata at? And here, here's my guess. Whoever gets the pin, which I believe it'll be Zack Sabre Jr., he'll probably pin Shibata. Um, he'll end up uh, challenging Orange Cassidy. And Zack Sabre Jr. versus Orange Cassidy sounds fucking great. It does sound great. I'm Holy very excited crap. for that. Oh, it sounds phenomenal. Um like I, Daniel Garcia and Orange Cassidy has been great, and yes. uh, but Zack Saber Jr. and Orange Cassidy, Orange Cassidy had a five star match last year with Will Osprey. I want to see what Zack Saber Jr. versus Orange Cassidy will bring. Like Orange Cassidy has become a workhorse, and it's been the best like evolution of a character that we've had in this company, and I, I'm really excited to see what Forbidden Door brings for him. Yeah, and I think also, um, I mean, Saber, Orange Cassidy, I mean, that start my expectations for that are like a four-star match would be kind of disappointing, <laughs> which is insane. Uh, like, I would hope that would be at least four and a half, or four and a quarter, sorry, if not better. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, that's that's a very exciting match to me, and I can't wait till it, uh, till it happens. There's also, I can't remember it now, but there's some line that uh, Zack Saber dropped here on uh daniel garcia at the very end that cracked me up i didn't write it down uh something like uh chuff off or whatever um some british person nonsense 
Yeah. Um, so, oh, some interesting news that uh, dropped on uh, Twitter uh, just a little bit ago, um, Fred. Yeah. AW Dynamite is going to air live in Japan next week. Oh, okay. That's uh, that's a big sign right there or something, I imagine. Um, oh, hold on. It's okay. So it's um, it's not really airing live. It's airing on <laughs> NJPW World as, but it says it's live. They're they're basically airing it as like a live production, so like a scheduled show. Okay, at, cool, cool. Um, at seven p.m. on next Thursday. So, but be, with the with how stiff the time difference is, it yeah, uh, the show will be like I don't know six seven hours old by the time it airs live in, in japan that that tells me we're gonna get a lot of new japan guys on next week's show and i'm all for it yeah and i mean you would expect that you know because the build is coming up um the the date is coming up and the build needs to kick in um yeah but i mean that that could be very cool and uh, i mean i think it will be very cool um how many days i've already forgotten how many days do we have left we have 10 days left so yeah that's the go home show so yeah they better uh it's the go home dynamite not the go home show because we still have rampage and collision Um, rampage i mean you know that's a that's a go to bed show um they they need to make rampage like wcw saturday night and i think that that's what they're going to just give us nerd matches yeah I, i mean i think they kind of do uh treat it like saturday night but i don't think it's like our idealized version of what saturday night is yeah. you know with with those great matchups it's going to be more like uh you know jake hager faces the gambler <laughs> you know whoever the 2023 edition of the gambler is not dead by the way yes not dead so at least that one <laughs> Next up, AEW Women's World Championship match, Tony Storm versus Sky Blue. These women worked really hard. They did. I this, they did. This ended up being pretty good. I almost went four stars on. I went three and three quarters. This was okay. great. You had Sky Blue coming out. She is decked out. She's got a normal ring gear and she's got this like oil glitter gimmick because obviously a lot of wrestlers wear like baby oil so they don't stick and they kind of slide off each other. But that there's like blue glitter on her on her upper chest on her face like she went all out here her mom is sitting in the front row and her mom got an l spray painted on her by tony storm great um, great stuff great spot good on mama sky blue that was that was tremendous um these women worked really hard and sky blue came out firing she's getting better, but some of her stuff, like her tope to the outside just looked too slow and elongated. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's that she's improving. And I think that that's good. I love that she got this match because you knew Tony was going to retain and she looks really good. She gave her a lot. They really did. did. Um, I mean, she's only 23 years old. So there's a lot of potential for sky blue moving forward. Yes, for sure. Uh, I was not nearly as high on this match. I thought it was above average, but I don't think it was like good. In part because of the the holes you could see, especially with Sky Blue's offense. Um, I went two and a half on it, um, with two being my average um, rating. Um, but I, I thought there was a lot of fun stuff in here, and uh, I thought it was enjoyable. Um, you know, Sky Blue, you know, not perfect, but looked better than usual um i think and um 
yeah, I, I you know I thought this was a pretty enjoyable little match. Nothing to write home about, but nothing bad. Yeah, I I was I came away really really impressed. But at the end of the day, um, it is what it is. Yeah. So now, did, did you see Sky Blue on Hey EW? I did not. Okay. Uh, they told a story. <laughs> They, uh, if you haven't seen it, you should, uh, and you're listening, you should go check that out right now. I'm just going to dryly tell the story. It's funnier when it's guided by RJ City. Uh, but the uh, the story basically is that uh, Sky Blue, as a teenager, I guess it was, uh, was excommunicated from her church because at, they were doing some ceremony thing, I guess, and uh, there was a kid in front of her. She didn't like wearing like one of those church robes. So she uh, she set it on fire, and uh, and laughed about it. So so she's AEW's Kane now. Like we got to shoot Kane over here. Um, Jim Ross, watch your ass. Uh, just a wild ass story from that episode. Yeah, interesting. I'll have to go check it out. Um... Right after this is when we get Jungle Boy accepting the challenge of Sonata. He says the summer of Jungle Hook is in full swing, but I'm going to be honest. I'm starting to feel a little naked here standing next to the hook without a championship on my own. And I guess you remember, he's, and he even says it here. Now, I said I was going to win a title this year, singles title, and I meant it. So that's why right now I'm officially accepting Sonata's open challenge for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship at Forbidden Door. Renee looks at Hook. Hook, how do you, do you have a reaction to that? Jack Perry, well, actually, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. It all came up so quick. After I win this thing, it'll go back to Jungle Hook. But besides being my tag team partner, you're my best friend. You mean the world to me if you have my back and be in my corner for Bindor. And they get the fist bump. Uh, yeah, Jack's turning heel. <laughs> you know, He's 100% teasing turning. Um, it's going to be a bit... Um, I, I think, although I guess they could speed it up if they really wanted to. Uh, it'll be very interesting to, to watch this. I definitely think he's turning heel and screwing Hook over for that uh, FTW title. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch that storyline play out. It really is going to be fun. I'm I'm intrigued to see where this goes, and I, I would bet Hook wins the FTW title. Yeah, I would, uh, I would imagine so, too. Yeah. All right. Now we have American... Dragon Brian Danielson joining commentary for this. And we have a trios match with the Hung Bucks, Hangman Adam Page, and the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson versus the Blackpool Combat Clubs, John Moxley, ROH World Champion, Claudio Castagnoli, and Wheeler Yuta. And the graphic for the Bucks was just phenomenal. And I'm pulling it up here. Not only, like, they usually have those little jokes. Yeah. And they had it here. Formerly known by a sexually suggestive and anatomically misleading team name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess they didn't say that on the air this week. Uh, it's uh, it's very funny that you know, I, I the uh, the constant uh, Chiron shenanigans surrounding Adam Page are like a highlight of the company's production. I think Adam Page is this company's biggest star. Um, he doesn't always get television time there there it this is one of the faults with tony khan's booking he when he doesn't have something for somebody or he doesn't want somebody to lose he kind of keeps them away yeah. and page has been one of those guys that he's just kind of kept away but when he's here he 
he gets the biggest crowd reactions. He is, I think he's the biggest star in this company. I really do. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's the center of the company. Um, I, I think there's probably a couple guys you could argue are bigger name guys uh, to some extent. But he, he is so important to this company. Um, and, and I do. Let me clarify, Fred. Biggest AEW star versus biggest wrestling star, I think, are two different connotations. That's fair. So That's if, fair. You, if you go outside of the world of AEW, Omega, Danielson, Moxley are bigger stars. Just within the four walls of AEW. I think Hangman Page is the biggest star. And I, that's, I, that's how I'm going to frame the discussion. I think that's fair. Um, he, he's definitely, I think, in my opinion, the company's protagonist. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I love his... He's so good in the ring these days. Uh, I mean, uh, I think throughout AEW's uh, run, he has been very good in the ring. But over the past year or so, he has... Ever since his world championship reign, I think I think he's really elevated his game, and uh, I, you know, I would love to see him just like every single week as a really major character. Yeah, I I would too. And this match was an freaking fantastic. Oh my gosh, was this good? Yeah, this was a, a blast. Um. Just, just great. Um, you you take a look at all aspects. Oh man, I am. I, I don't even know where to start. You had a bunch of super kick parties. You had a bunch of really cool spots, and I thought it was really cool that you had the finish be the BT trigger followed by the buckshot lariat to really put down Wheeler Yuta, showing that hey. We need to really put this guy away. And they did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were just so many fantastic spots and sequences throughout this. Uh, Young Bucks matches in particular are always very tightly put together. Um, And the work in this I thought was so great. I went four and a half uh, stars on this match. And, and of course, like in traditional big Young Bucks match fashion, it's like almost impossible to properly take notes on what is happening in the ring. Uh, but there was just so much cool stuff. Like there was, um, I mean, the the BCC doing a Doomsday Device. Uh, there was uh, the Young Bucks helping Paige do a draped Arihara moonsault to the floor. Um, God, just all this cool stuff in here. There was some crazy uh, pop up European by Claudio. Um, this is great. This is just a f- ton of fun and and really enjoyable. Yeah. And this match ended with five minutes left in the show. And you know what that means? Angle time. And you had Claudio come back in and start um, kicking some ass. And then all of a sudden you hear Eddie Kingston's music. And I found this to be very interesting because Eddie had said that he is done with AEW. He quit the company and then he ended up going to Ring of Honor. But he's back because he wants the Ring of Honor world title. And He's beating the crap out of Claudio and John Moxley gets in the ring. Eddie turns around and they're like, what the hell? And they don't really know what to do. So they kind of tease tension there. And then um, the Bucks start kicking Moxley's ass and he kind of confronts the Bucks. He's like, no, they're like, what the hell? Like, this was all really well done. And then out comes Takeshita. And Takeshita, like kind of, I guess, quote unquote, evens the odds for the Blackpool Combat Club. 
and then you get Kenny Omega's music. Yes. Oh, was this great? And Omega finally gets his hands on Takeshita, delivers the dragon suplex. And then out of nowhere, as he's celebrating, he gets bombarded by Will fucking Osprey, who beats the shit out of Kenny Omega with multiple hidden blades. Yeah. With the Stormbreaker. And he starts it all off with that hook kick because Omega doesn't even see him. He's, yep. he's just like, whoa, what the hell? Osprey looks like a million bucks in sweats. Holy crap. He looks like a muscle-bound beefcake. This was this was so well done from start to finish. Oh, uh, this was and, an awesome, awesome angle. Now, one thing that I really liked is after he hit Stormbreaker, he's just kind of standing or lurking around in the corner. And 10 seconds before Fates of Black, he hits another hidden blade for good measure. And oh, this was phenomenal. I I don't understand how you could be any more excited for Forbidden Door. Like Tony Khan heard you whine about Forbidden Door's build last year and told basically told you to shove it up your ass. They have brought out the big guns, and obviously they're not dealing with the same injuries as last year, but right. my goodness, was this great. And oh, t- 10 days can't come soon enough. Yeah, that is going to be a amazing match. Uh, what? However, you know, obviously they're doing... Uh, However, the BCC and the Bucks and everyone and Paige oh, fit into this too. That's going to be cool. Um, but yeah, I I love this. I popped so big when Eddie Kingston came out. Uh, just incredibly cool to see him um, healthy and ready to go again. Of course, we, we should have known that he was coming in some form or fashion with the G1 coming up and him announced as a participant <laughs> in it. Uh, yeah. But it was still cool as hell. Yeah. Um, just a, a great show, man, um, and a great angle to close it, and uh, just a total home run of a of a segment. It really was, and that is AEW Dynamite. Fred, this was an all-time show. We had a lot of positive direction for Forbidden Door. We have, so far officially on the card, we have Brian Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada, Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega, Sonata versus Jungle Boy Jack Perry for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Hiroshi Tanahashi versus MJF for the um, AEW World Heavyweight Championship. And presumably, Orange Cassidy versus Zack Sabre Jr. for the AEW International title. And maybe the New Japan TV title. We'll see how that kind of all shapes up. Those are the five that we can kind of pencil in for right now. And there's going to be even more coming over the next week and a half. I, Oh, yeah. Oh, this um, is going to be great. Also, we've got this. Okay, uh, if you're the kind of... Well, we got announcements for Rampage, right? Did all the matches get announced, or is it just... Uh, I think they only announced that Aussie Open's wrestling them, uh, wrestling on there. So No, it's not Aussie Open. It's because... Uh, sorry, Mark my, my bad. That's what I meant to say. Um, it's Osprey, Kyle Fletcher, and Jeff Cobb versus um, Best Friends and Rocky Romero. Um, late announced was Takeshita versus Bandito. Um, Which I, I am beside myself for that match. Cannot wait. Oh, that's going to be phenomenal. And um, spoiler alert. They it's have been announced new, on Twitter. They it's have a announced. new video. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. For Takeshita and Don Callis. Oh, yes. <laughs> They're centaurs. They're not both centaurs. Oh, 
It is it is Don Callis riding upon the back of Centaur Takeshta, painted in the style, I think, I guess by the same guy as the uh, both shirtless buff Omega Callis painting, uh, one of the greatest works of art of our time. Um, awesome stuff. Perfect stuff. Uh, also, and has been made official on the AW Twitter account, so I can say this without anyone getting all upset about, uh, about spoilers. Six-man tag for Rampage, or I guess I should say six-person tag, because it is Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett, Karen Jarrett against the team of Mark Briscoe, Aubrey Edwards, and Papa Briscoe. That's going to be phenomenal. Papa Briscoe on AEW television. I cannot wait, man. (laughs) Fantastic. Just the best. He's going to get in Jay Lethal's face and act like a dad just pissed off. And it's going to be so good. It's going to be so great. I can't wait. Mark, uh, Papa Briscoe, I'm sorry, and uh, Jeff Jarrett together. Mm, Cannot. That's going to be so good. Yeah, it's it's going to be fantastic. And Fred, that's our show. Um, that is next our show. Week, we are going to have a huge Forbidden Door preview uh, with potentially some crossover, which I, I we won't fully spoil that until it, we get something booked. But we're in process, and this is very exciting. And this this Forbidden Door is shaping up to potentially, like on paper, could be one of the best cards of all time. Yeah, it's it a is. little bit of hyperbole, but I'm sorry. Omega and Osprey and Danielson Okada. Yeah. No, I I, I will say without a, a second, a, a single bit of uh, hesitancy that that may be the greatest one to top the card match on paper uh, announcements for a show in history. Uh, it's right up there with uh, with some of the big Wrestle Kingdoms. Uh, you can point to whatever WrestleMania as you want to. It doesn't matter. This is, in terms of match quality, in terms of what I want to watch, this is, this is like, has to be at the top of the list. I cannot wait. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, look, at the end of the day, we're going to get a great card. I mean, we got a great card last year, too. So, this is, this is going to be a lot of fun. And we'll, we'll kind of see... We'll kind of see how it works. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at GoodBadHungy. Um, you can uh, email the show at HungyPod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at TheRealForno. All my Vikings work is at the Vikings Wire for USA Today or the Vikings First in School YouTube channel, which you can find a link for in the show description. You can follow Fred on Twitter at Fragrant Wrestling because Ted Turner is better than Vince McMahon. And... You can also um, subscribe to his Patreon, which is currently paused. But yeah, when it comes unpaused. back, you are going to want to subscribe for all the analytical breakdowns in the world of professional wrestling. And if you want to talk with us, please join the Voices of Wrestling Discord and that talk to us in our channel. Um, we have some good discussion there from time to time, and we would love to be able to keep growing that area as well. Along with that, Please subscribe to our solo feed if you are listening on the Voice of Wrestling podcast feed and help us. We are currently top 20 in the country of Malaysia, and we would like to get into the top five here soon. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. And this is going to be a really fun road to Forbidden Door. Y'all have a good week. Uh, Enjoy the wrestling because there's a lot of good stuff going on right now. Woo. 
Cheering at pro wrestling shows in Japan is back, and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res. That's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of All Japan Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling Noah. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps.